You don't need no. Oh, I class, nigga. This shit sound crazy. This shit sound crazy. Flash it on. You know what I'm saying? She. She. You don't need no. This down all pop nigga, you don't even know. Just have me no car, you don't even know. I came up from ball, you don't even know. My niggas all right with me, you don't even know. Got killers with me right now, you don't even know. This million dollar watch nigga, you don't even know. Got a million dollar crib, nigga, you don't even know. Hey, that monster truck, sit tall as fuck, so big, can't even talk. Don't like snakes, keep my grad cut, so low, can't even more. Tip done, period, look high, glow, no, no, we don't do more. It ain't PJ, no rose for me, host don't even pour. Spent song, time for it. Putting down Michael Kors. Always on like the refrigerator unplugged, then, oh, you know it. AP and that P gate, where the bright lean when I'm bored. Got a masterpiece and a 41 millimeter, you ain't even know it. Keep the 45 in my pocket, I ain't gonna show it till I have to pop it, then you gonna know it. Damn, who shot you? They don't even know it. Hawks game, fucking Floyd. TVC front row. Rock go to Dunn, CEO. Ain't got a rapper, you know it. Nah. down all the shoes, you don't even know it. This down all the pop you don't even know it. Just have me no car, you don't even know it. I came up from bottom, you don't even know it. My niggas all right with me, you don't even know it. Got killers with me right now, you don't even know it. This million dollar watch, nigga, you don't even know it. Got a million dollar crib, nigga, you don't even know it. Let me show you that ring rock. You don't even know it. I die over Hey guys, this is Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find us on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major auto catchers and Rumble and Odyssey as well. Today my guest is Matt Crumpton. We're continuing our JFK series. It's been a while since we covered the last one. Uh, so if you're watching on YouTube, go check out the playlist if you want to check out the previous ones. But yeah, we're getting into it today. We're probably going to mostly cover Jack Ruby today. But I do want to remind you guys how this works. Uh, for my patrons, you guys get this content early. It's a live stream for you guys. Uh, and that's the lowest level for that's two bucks. The highest level is, you know, goes. there's multiple levels. And the highest level is my sponsors. I read those off every episode. I have Toad, who's my co-host on Tower Gang, at Tower Gang Toad. Uh, you can and then also at abrogate D's, then Kevin B. Clark, a full-time guitarist and private music teacher in the New York area. So if you're looking for somebody for a gig or looking for somebody to teach you some music, he's your guy. Uh, you can go follow him or go hit me up uh, and I can get you in contact with him. Then at Z-O-V-E-R-A-C-K, then at underscore infinite zeal. And they also have Jacob Daniel of the Biblical Anarchy podcast. Uh, I was just on his episode or his show recently that should be coming out here in the next few weeks. Then I have Tim Tuttle, who's, uh, or at Jolly on Klebold. Uh, he's actually who I got that intro from. I've done a few episodes with him as well. Most of those are uh, only over on Rumble because those are saucy topics that you can't really cover on YouTube. Then I also have newer one, at uh, StinkySock420. He's a singer of Bender Hardcore. I actually checked out some music. It's pretty dope. It's the kind of stuff I like. Uh, that's patreon.com, snowyjose2020, uh, so, and like I said, you guys, you patrons get it usually roughly about a week early, it depends on my, uh, schedule, what's going on, but, uh, with that, let's go ahead and get Matt in here and get into it, what's up, man, how you been? 
Hey, how's it going, Jose? Good. It's glad to have you back. Uh, you've done a lot. Me and you both have done a lot since the last time I've had you on. So I want to yeah. give you a moment to kind of lay out all the different things you're doing these days because you sent me a laundry list over on the DMs. I was like, oh, geez, you, you've been yeah. moving stuff. So yeah. uh, what's up? Thanks, man. Thanks for, for yeah. having me on and congrats yeah. on all of your success and all the stuff you've had going on, man. Very cool. Um, uh, yeah, I let's see. Uh, season two of the podcast is just starting. So that's cool. Uh, we did, um, we had, uh, a pretty good first week. We finished our first week and did better numbers than we did sort of, you know, the last week of the last season. So we're picking up where we left off, which is good. And, um, uh, I got a book that just came out with James D. Eugenio and, and, uh, couple of uh, several other authors it's actually a, an anthology it's five authors e each of us wrote uh, two chapters but uh Diogenio is um it's like oliver stone's uh screenwriter the big documentary that stone just did that was really Diogenio's film and so he's dedicated his whole life to this um and i randomly met this dude in a hotel uh lobby in uh in dallas last year and now i've now i have a published book with him Okay, so the book came out. It's called The JFK Assassination Chokeholds that indisputably, that's the chokehold part of it, that indisputably prove there was a conspiracy. So I, I did two chapters for that. Um, Oswald couldn't have been in place on the sixth floor at 1230. And I also did a chapter on uh, all the, just documenting all the instances where Oswald was impersonated. And there's about 20 of them that we have like a documented citation for. Um, and, uh, anyway, so, so we did that. And by the way, there's a whole, uh, Jack Ruby chapter in that book as well that I didn't write, but I was, I was rereading before this. Um, and then, uh, uh, the other big thing I have going on is I've luckily randomly got picked to, uh, be a talking head in this, this movie that's come out the recently called uh, JFK, what the doctors saw on Paramount plus. So it's pretty cool. It's like the doctors who worked on Kennedy at Parkland and the head of the uh, the head of the uh, assassination records review board, uh, uh, military records. So the guy that was actually going and getting the records from these military doctors and also, uh, you know, writing the questions to subpoena them when he when he called him in. the guy who was there. So it's him and then the heel of the show, because it is a show that, that has a Warren Report critic uh, point of view, right? So it sort of presents the Parkland doctors as as believable and credible because you got 10 of them all saying the exact same thing. <laughs> like, what do you want? Um, but, but at any rate, uh, uh, the heel of the show is Dr. Michael Bodden. Uh, who was the head of the HSCA medical panel. So it's so it's me going, hey, you know, forget what the forensic pathologist says. Let me, let me tell you what the podcaster thinks about this. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's cool. And uh, I'm not in it much the first 40 minutes, but like the last 40 minutes, starting at 40 minutes in to the last like hour, it's like an hour and 45 minutes long. I, it's just all me, embarrassingly, like too much of me, to be honest with you. So yeah, it's... Check that out, I guess. It's, it, but it is good. It documents. Um, it's a bunch of unreleased footage of the Parkland doctors when they had a reunion when most of them were still alive. Uh, and it's the first time that that footage has been shown to the public. So it's cool. It's uh, that was that was great. So, yeah, I've been staying busy, man. 
Oh, for sure. I, I can tell. Uh, there is one thing I want to follow up on. I, li- I re-listened to our previous episodes just to kind of get myself spun back up where we're at. Uh, and you had said, uh, you just mentioned a minute ago, the, the Oswald doppelgangers. Uh, and I've done a little bit of reading as well myself. So that uh, get, made me even more interested because I finally finished Aberration in the Heartland of the Real. This sucker right here, it's a great book. Uh, and McVeigh also had a, a similar problem. And I can't remember off the top of my head, but this is, there were also multiple other uh, major landmark events in U.S. history where there were similar things. Like anytime there's something where, I don't know, people like us might immediately think there was some sort of Fed involvement, there always seems to be doppelgangers. I don't know what it is. It just seems to be like an earmark of Fed involvement. It always seems like. Yeah. Uh, so I'm. you said last time that you were in the midst of still reading up on it and making your determination. I haven't really dug in too deep into the McVeigh stuff. So I don't, or, or so far as his doppelganger. So I don't have a strong opinion on that. If that, like what that can be summed up to. Have you come to a determination in your opinion uh, when it comes to the Oswald doppelgangers, what's going on there? Have you, mm-hmm. if you concluded your reading and your research search to get a get an idea are you still like what the fuck <laughs> i'm still uh so i'm still reading the book that puts all that together all right there's a guy named john armstrong um and uh as i've kind of moved up in the jfk assassination research game i kind of have i go from talking about people to suddenly having access to people like where like they'll they'll take my phone calls and emails which is really cool and so uh, I don't know Armstrong, but Eugenio is friends with him. So uh, so I'm 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 close. I'm t- I want to actually talk to this guy, but this guy is independently wealthy. He's an oil oil guy. Okay, uh, and every year uh, for about twenty years, he would take off a month and go to the National Archives and just go through every single document related to Oswald's life, just deeply, intensely studying Oswald. And uh, based on the actual documents, the National Archives. Um, so long story short, he puts all this together. And there's there's two parts of it. Uh, so he has this book called Harvey and Lee, which is weird. Um, it's like a 1,500-page book, and you can never find it. It's always sold out. My wife got it for me for Christmas last year on eBay. Like, it's just you can never find it anywhere. It's crazy. But um, uh, he documents all these instances of uh records of oswald growing up where he's in two places at the same time and it's not possible based on the internal documents right and then he goes and follows up and interviews you know the people that he can find and he was doing this in like 1990 1993 so he was doing it was it was a lot fresher it's now we're so far away that it's almost worthless to interview people but not completely but almost right but um uh so so anyway the question is so so what we have with with john armstrong's research is all these conflicts and you can't deny that the evidence is conflicting but the question is like is his theory that on on top of that is his theory accurate right and his theory is that there's there's a hungarian uh russian speaking harvey oswald uh, who's in, uh, who basically he's from New York, New York city. And then there's, uh, from Fort Worth, Texas and new Orleans, there's Lee Oswald, uh, whose mom worked at Naval intelligence at the time. And basically the the his theory is that sometime around when they were eight, nine, 10 years old, their identities began to be merged. And basically 
the uh the orphan had like a caretaker that this the marguerite oswald uh that we know from history that would you know kind of follow him around and, and position him to to be close to the other oswald it, it is really crazy and it sounds nuts and i think it's reasonable to write it off as being crazy but when you go oh the documents support this what else could it be either it's hey there's some weird anomaly but it's like how do you accidentally write that oswald went to school for 89 days in new orleans fall semester of 1954 when we know with certainty fall semester of 1954 he's in new york city the whole time like how's how do you accidentally write that if it's not true like you know because this is a document in the warren commission it's not like some dude found it anyway so i'm still going through those but i'm trying to show my receipts and lay everything out because everything is so intensely disputed um but uh i mean i'm still looking at it and i haven't ruled it out is my answer on john armstrong's theory because uh, everybody everybody points out different things but and there's been a lot of good work um in terms of like the cia setting up oswald but there's, our, there's almost no one who tries to explain what happened that day. Okay, if it wasn't Oswald shooting, then who was firing that shot? And then where did they go? And then who killed Tippett? And then how does all how do all these things work? And who's the doppelganger in the car that's got the same license plate as uh, J.D. Tippett's best friend, Carl Mather, um, who who's a you know intelligence contractor and all these things. It's just it's bananas. But but uh, Armstrong has a theory. Now I'm not saying he's it's always wild, but sometimes, you know, truth is stranger than fiction. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but we start to lay that out here in season two as we get into it. And the first, I can't tell you how much I've studied Oswald's report cards and his W2 records of <laughs> worked. And it seems mundane and stupid, but you're like, Oh my God, there's, we have these doesn't match up. How is this possible? So yeah, there's a lot of that going on. So yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very weird, but I think once, if you start to like, kind of get the idea like like if you're trying to buy the idea that essentially say there's cia sponsored hit squads if you're getting to that level of of conspiracy or whatever you want to call this then you get to the point of like well okay how does that work and you start looking at how some of these feds operate a lot of times you'll see feds that use the same pseudonym and like there's all or if you look at things in the past like gladio it's implied that like people it may even sometimes go through families that it goes through. so it's like i how crazy would it be that maybe they would intentionally set it up so that if we have hit squads that there are people with similar names so that it can make it easier to play play fast and loose with the facts i'm not saying that's the case it is yeah. weird it always seems to be there's doppelgangers well, or, pseudonyms that fly all over the place it, it gets it gets weird when you start digging deep into this stuff yeah and the th i think the theory is uh so that the soviet union um, had a program that was similar to the program we had, which is basically to to have two people with the same identity so that you can have your person doing hood rat things with their friends, you know <laughs> what I mean? And then blame it on the other person and be like, what are you talking about? But couldn't have been me. I was in you know Lincoln, Nebraska, whatever, whatever. <laughs> so if they have one of those people who's a native Russian speaker, then that that the idea is they could do hood rat things with their friends in Russia. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, <laughs> it is a, co a common thing that comes up. All right, I have one question from a patron, and then we'll move into the main topic of today. Uh, he, he said, uh, if the route was changed at the last minute to go past the building Oswald worked at, how would he know to bring his rifle to work that day? Um, so uh, off to you. 
Um, I mean, I don't think Oswald brought a rifle that day is my answer to that question. Uh, the route was changed at the last, I mean, yeah, that, that question, in other words, you know, if it was changed at the last minute, I think he's saying it was changed to go past the school book depository at the last minute. It was the, the route that went past the depository was published in the papers a, a day or two in advance. So it wasn't the last second that was changed, but, um, you know, this begs the question of this. This is why I don't think Oswald could have been in place specifically because you've got at twelve fifteen you have Arnold Rowland who says he sees uh, a, a white guy in the window with a gun and a bald black guy behind him, okay, um, and, or dark skinned guy behind him, and then you have and his wife uh, echoed the same things. So you have two people to say that twelve fifteen, twelve twenty five. Carolyn Arnold says she saw Oswald on the uh, second floor. Um, at 12:25. So how can he be on the second floor at 12:25 if he's supposed to be in the window at 12:15? And then also you've got Bonnie Ray Williams eating his fried chicken lunch right outside of the area where the boxes are. He would have had to like creep around him and not be heard, which is I guess theoretically possible. But you got a guy sitting right there in front of where it was like kind of guarding that area. So. Um, and also nobody saw Oswald in the building with a gun. A guy that saw Oswald enter the building, Jack Doherty, said that he had nothing in his hands when he entered the building. Um, but that would mean that Frazier's probably lying, which is weird. Why is he lying? I don't know. He had a midnight polygraph that's all the records are missing for. We don't know what was going on. He was kind of freaking out. Um, so anyway, it's, it's, a, it's a fun rabbit hole. But the answer is I don't think Oswald uh, uh, brought a gun that day. Fair enough. All right, uh, let's get into Jack Ruby. Now, to start us off, I would say Jack Ruby is probably the biggest part, the, the biggest red flag for most people, at least for me, when I first heard, um, or at least from my recollection of first hearing about JFK when I was younger. Once you hear about Jack Ruby, like, it's, okay, some dude killed JFK. That's weird. Oh, whatever. He's a lone wolf, you know, lone gunman, whatever, just, you know, wanted to kill JFK. I guess that's feasible, but then... Now this other guy comes out of nowhere and then kills this guy before he can really even go to trial or do anything or even really get, I don't even think he'd been technically officially charged at the point. I, I'm not sure. And that to me was just like, always like, what? That is probably the biggest red flag there is. Uh, so, so I, I, this is why I've been the most interested in digging into Jack Ruby. Uh, but let's start off with, I mean, as I kind of allude to, he killed the guy who supposedly killed, uh, JFK, but let's start off with an early life check on this guy, uh, which is kind of an ironic, uh, turn of phrase to use because it's a common right wing thing whenever someone's got Jewish heritage, which, uh, he does. I think it's Jacob Rubenstein. I know a lot of people go to great lengths to try to, make like a, uh, you know, surmise things from that. I don't know. I've never really dug too deep in that. Maybe there's something to the Zionist angle. I'm not sure we, we may touch on that today. We'll see, but l let me know what was, what was Jack Ruby's kind of early life? Where, what's his roots? Where did he come from before we kind of get to the fateful day of where he shot Oswald? Yeah. Um, so his name, uh, is, uh, Jack, uh, J, uh, Jack Rubenstein, that what is his name, so that's not disputed. No. Um, and he, he started going by Jack Ruby. He's from Chicago. Uh, that's that, that's kind of where he, he grew up anyway. He used to uh, run errands for Al Capone, so he was kind of in the game in the game from a young age. Um, he, the thing about Ruby when it comes to the Chicago Mafia, 
uh, he had a couple of a couple of guys that he's like associated with. He was friends with him when he was young, who then ascended uh, to be at like the Sam Giancana level. He was Sam Giancana is the Chicago mob boss guy, um, who who like many mob bosses uh, was killed during the HSCA investigation. Not mob bosses, but Giancana, um, uh, uh, Johnny Roselli was found in a barrel. Um, I want to say, I don't, I don't know if Traficante was killed during that time or not. I think Traficante might've lived longer, but, but, um, but anyway, yeah, Ruby's early time, uh, you know, he, he was kind of a low level player, um, but he did have connections to people who were there. So the thing on Ruby and I've, uh, you know, I haven't, what I did with Ruby is I covered the first episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> I covered, uh, just sort of the the high level stuff that's like above the ice that's showing above the water of the iceberg, right? So, the the things that are, you know are kind of obvious to advance the story in terms of like, you know, what's his story on that day? What's what were his movements? What did what did people see and all that kind of stuff? But what I haven't gone deep on on Ruby and I'm going to this season is you know his his ties, his mafia ties, and in particular those ties as they relate to Cuba. That's where there is evidence regarding Ruby. So, so, you know, in terms of like, you know, everybody wants to just say automatically Ruby is mafia connected. Well, yes, he does have mafia ties growing up. Now, is it concrete, absolute slam dunk? Uh, maybe, maybe it will end up being, but right now I think it's just kind of like definitely possible, maybe even likely but, uh, but you know, it's just it's like just because you were friends with somebody growing up doesn't mean that you have an active operation with them today. It could be you have to reserve the possibility that, you know, it could be nothing. It's just there's a few of these things that keep popping up. So, like, what's what's Ruby's business in, in Dallas? He, oh, Ru I'm sorry. I've left this out. Ruby attempted to bribe a uh, some Texas law enforcement official on behalf of someone affiliated with the Chicago mafia, but it was like a, a lower person down the chain. Right. So again, he's kind of like low level in, in terms of that, but um, where it gets interesting with Ruby, like I was saying is, is, is Cuba. So uh, there's evidence that he went to Havana in 1959 and there's a guy who was, the, uh, and so during that time, uh, Traficante, who was the big mob boss in, in uh, Florida, in particular, he's based out of Tampa. But Tra Traficante is in prison in Havana at the time, and, and he owned the uh, the um, the casinos there. But uh, not all of them, but he owned a casino there. But at the time, he was in prison, and, and uh, he was visited by, according to another one of the prisoners there, he was visited by Jack Ruby in Havana. And so there's all these other instances of Ruby running guns back and forth uh, to Cuba. And so the and so what's you know what's what I like about that is um, well, what I like about that body of evidence anyway is that there is you're on very solid ground there. It's not like the Chicago stuff where you're like I don't know he was friends with this guy. These guys were buddies back in the day. Who knows what they're up to. With the Ruby and Cuba stuff, we have memos from Burt Griffin um, and uh, another guy whose name escapes me. But ba basically, so these are guys that are attorneys that were on the Warren Commission. And they're basically complaining like, hey, we have not chased down this Jack Ruby Cuba angle. Uh, we, we're not getting all the information. And, you know, it's quite possible that 
Jack Ruby's tied to Cuba uh, because we have all these reports that, uh, you know, he had visited Cuba and that he, you know, knew Santo uh, Traficante. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, what are your thoughts? Uh, I guess maybe we can jump ahead a little. I guess I'm not even jumping ahead. I think we're kind of talking about loose, sketchy connections. I've heard a lot of people who like to jump to, with, especially with the Ruben scene thing, they like to make Zionist angles. Have you ever looked into that? Is there really anything to that? I know uh, I have never checked out Ryan Dawson's work on that, but I know he, I believe, my understanding is he kind of goes somewhere with that, something to do with the nuclear uh, stuff that kind of connects into JFK and Ruby somehow. Uh, do you put much stock in that, or have you not really looked into that? I've I've heard so. There's a guy who always uh, at the always. I've only been to two now, but uh, at both JFK assassination conferences, there's a guy who he's Israel guy. His, his whole thing is he's handing out flyers to everybody, letting them know the, about Israel's involvement. I I uh, it's not something that I have done a super deep dive on, um, but uh, surface level, I will say. That it's true that that the the state of Israel, uh, you know, had some geopolitical differences with Kennedy, no doubt about it. But the the reason that I don't that I wouldn't um, say that they are involved in the actual assassination is because it, whoever is involved had to have control of the autopsy. So you know, for sure, out of the gate, you you know that you've got like a a military type CIA uh, scenario. You know, the the prevailing wisdom among the like the top experts in, on the JFK assassination, who I was I've been with uh, all last week, um, is uh, and I'm not one of them. They let me hang out with them for some reason, but. But uh, the, the, it used to be, hey, the CIA did it, and maybe it was just rogue CIA guys. And the CIA did it working with the Cubans and uh, the mafia because they were already going to kill Castro, and they just, like, turned the operation. The prevailing wisdom's kind of changed to, yes, all that's true, but the impetus, uh, uh, the, the, the catalyst for it was the Pentagon. Because, they, because once they found out that Kennedy was having back channel conversations with Khrushchev and Castro. Uh, they viewed him as a traitor who was actively working. They're trying to figure out how do we nuke these people? And Kennedy's trying to figure out how do we sign some sort of new, like, you know, arms uh, agreement where we, where we, you know, limit our own uh, capabilities. So he just, his views were anathema to, you know, Curtis LeMay and Lemnitzer and all these guys. So it's, it's, uh, it's something, man. It's the, that, that's, that's really sort of the, the prevailing wisdom now. So Israel, you know, could Israel have, uh, had foreknowledge? Absolutely. You know, the, the folks are, but I don't want to speculate, uh, on anything I don't have evidence for. So I'm not saying that there's nothing to that whatsoever. Uh, but I'm just saying when it comes down to like the nitty gritty of it, I, I don't see that as being the case. Okay. Well, it sounds like if they were to had anything to do with it, it'd be at a higher level to where they're pulling strings at a differing level that you're not really going to see anyways, if that or, was the case. Or to where they're uh, just a beneficiary of something that happens is, is more like, you know what I mean? I don't, I, like I said, I, I think the, the thing that, that got it going appears to be the, 
the military industrial complex writ large. So yeah. to the extent they have involvement in that, that's where it would be, I would say. Okay. Uh, all right. So with the Cuba stuff, I feel like that heavily implies uh, probably CIA connections. I've heard a word, uh, I mean, I've heard tell, I couldn't tell you specifically sources that he was at some point possibly an informant for the FBI. Uh, does that, is that uh, ring a bell for you? Because now that would, uh, I mean, now I feel like if you're, if you're someone working with the FBI and the CIA, that kind of implies a higher level of um, uh, maybe not shenanigans, but a uh, shadowy nonsense going on, I guess. He, he did work as an informant for the FBI. That was confirmed by Gerald Ford in his uh, m- memoir. Um, so G- Gerald Ford, it was either in his memoir or an interview with someone, but Gerald Ford uh, admitted that as, as what he thought was a non-controversial fact that hadn't otherwise been established, but, but Ford did admit that. So awesome. yes, he was an FBI informant. But, you know, you can always go, hey, He's an FBI informant because he knows about, you know, the underworld. And, you know, look, if we let him get away with, you know, whatever, uh, whatever it is he's doing related to his clubs, um, you know, maybe he'll give us some information on other stuff to kind of stay out of trouble type thing, you know. Yeah, yeah, which, I mean, it's just a matter of uh, we're laying down uh, patterns here. We're not drawing any any fast right. and loose. But, I mean, if you have a guy with mafia connections, CIA connections, FBI connections, and he also ends up killing the guy who killed supposedly killed uh, JFK, all right, there's something weird going on here. Uh, all right, so let's let's kind of get into let's talk a little bit, maybe possibly about his uh, kind of his nightclub uh, stuff. I know, I think initially he acquired a, I guess it wasn't like, because I know he's known well known for having a strip club, but I think before that he had kind of like a nice, I believe they call them like dinner clubs or whatever the hell they were, like a nicer upscale place prior to that that I believe his sister sold to him. I think it was for like ten bucks, so it sounds more like it was just like she was just giving it to him essentially, uh, just more of a formality. Uh, is, is that ringing a bell for you? Uh, yeah. What, think, was that, what was the name of that place? I'm trying to remember that one. Um, I can't remember. The Carousel Club is the one that he owned uh, at the time of the assassination. There's another club as well. Um, but like, like I said, I'm, you know, on on the in terms of Ruby's background uh, and like the the less uh, exciting Ruby facts. Um, I, I'm not fully there yet, but I will be when I, when I get to it later. Um, but yeah, no, he, he did, uh, you know, what's crazy about Ruby, man, is that it, he, he, he comes up in all these other random places. Um, you know, so like, it, it's, it's almost hard to, <laughs> to bring up all the crazy things about Ruby because he's everywhere. I mean, there's, you know, Rose Sheremy, the, the heroin addict who was basically, uh, you know, if you believe her and, you know, if, you know, if you put the pieces of the puzzle together of what the Cuban exiles were doing in new Orleans, it looks like she was traveling with these Cuban exiles to Dallas right before the assassination. And she, uh, left them at a bar and ended up like freaking out and having an overdose and, and uh, she woke up in the hospital telling everyone that Kennedy was going to be killed the day before the assassination. He's killed. And then the, the cops came to come visit her. And then 
she gave information about some big heroin shipment that was coming in in Houston. And these people had her baby hostage. And it turns out everything she said was true. And they, <laughs> they, they, you know, whatever acted on her action uh, or acted on her information about this, this um, heroin shipment. And, uh, and that, and then she ended up, uh, she ended up being found dead by the side of the road, like a year later, I guess she, she, she was hit by a car, but, you know, it might have been, just been a heroin overdose. But the point is, she had foreknowledge of the thing. Um, and she mentioned that these guys were talking about Jack Ruby. Uh, there's a there's a guy. Here's a crazy story. There's um, and I don't even have the names of, of the doctor, but I'll cover it eventually. Uh, there's a Cuban doctor uh, who um, uh, would uh, basically use this family's burn burn pile okay they lived in like rural pennsylvania and you know you live out in the country you got like a big pile of stuff you burn you know burn stuff every now and then whatever um and they would let their neighbor come use their burn pit or whatever okay so the neighbor cuban doctor he'd use the burn pit and after he had last used the burn pit uh they they found a news a newspaper and this is like the day after the assassination and on the newspaper written in pencil it says Dallas, uh, uh, Jack Ruby, um, Silver Slipper, which I think might have been the name of the club you were talking about, uh, and Lee Oswald. It says these names, and it, and it says Dallas, and it's it's on written in in pencil on some random newspaper in rural Pennsylvania. So so they report this to the authorities, and then the doctor is never seen again. Well, it turns out that doctor. Uh, is a Cuban exile whose brother was the head of security services in Cuba for the guy that got toppled by Castro, Batista. So, <laughs> so it looks like the Cuban exiles had foreknowledge right immediately before. Um, but you could just write that off and be like, no, that's a lie. I choose not to believe that. And you can, you just, the problem is if you do, if you want to take that position, um, you have to do it over and over and over again. The problem on our side of things is we have, we have to, we, the Warren report critics, we have to go, uh, okay, but that document's fake a lot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, that's the problem. So, yeah, uh, yeah, no, for sure. I mean, what I was trying to demonstrate is kind of what you were implying there is you have all these connections and why I was trying to make a point between the two different nightclubs, because he had that more, uh, more higher up, more nice to do type place. And that was kind of a, I know it was more, it was known for being frequented by like, uh, I don't know, I guess almost like Hollywood types, you know, a lot of big names in that time. So he kind of had, you know, we have FBI looks like connections, CIA, I guess you could even with those CIA connections, probably, you know, infer Cuban exile connections. Oh, yeah. You got the mafia connections. Then we have like the Hollywood connection. And then you end up with his, uh, with his later, uh, you know, nightclub, the strip club, which is clearly kind of more, you know, I guess it's more kind of sort of in the mafia, but like the CD kind of underground area. So, and then on top of that, I know later you come to find out uh, he knew something like 90% of the, the cops that were at the police. So he was, he was just had so much connections that it just gets to the point where you're like, and one of these has to have something to it. There's just so, so much patterns there and okay, maybe none of them do, but it, I think a thinking man would go, well, that's at least weird. And so here we are yeah. with this guy. I mean, of the, I want to say there were maybe seven, 65, 70 people 
uh, police officers who were there in the building or in the garage when Ruby shot Oswald. And uh, of all the cops who were there, like 45 of the 60 knew, knew uh, Ruby, something crazy like that. So, I mean, you, you know, talk about, you know, things, you know, just coincidences. Uh, as soon as Ruby uh, kills Oswald, of course, the guy who arrests him, and I forget his name, it's, it's in the transcript of my podcast episode, uh, but the guy who arrests him knows Ruby, and and uh, and as soon you know, he's like, yeah, he was all stressed out, he was freaking out, he asked me for a cigarette, I gave him a cigarette, I lit it, he's like, he's like puffing the cigarette, and then uh, someone came in and said Oswald had died. Uh, and he and he's and he gave gave me the cigarette back and said so I don't smoke and he just and he and he was like oh I just took a like breathed the deep like sigh of relief so you know <laughs> it's it you can kind of write it off here or there but it's just one more thing um, but uh, you know yeah that that raises the question of like how did Ruby get in um, and there are there are a couple of different theories uh, the Warren report says that he just came down the main ramp. But there is a cop that they basically throw the cop that's guarding the main ramp completely under the bus. They go, yeah, this guy sucked. I don't know what was wrong with him. He says that he was helping another car cross the street, like he was escorting them out of the street. Uh, but you know, they kind of they kind of throw him under the bus when the evidence actually supports that cop that Ruby didn't come down that ramp. But that would mean that he would have come in like through the inside bowels of the building somehow. But it, Either the Warren report is right and that cop was like straight up negligent and allowed him to walk in. So that's the, that's the Warren report position. Yes. Some cop let him walk in. <laughs> like that's basically their position. Uh, they would say not let, but like it's gross negligence, like what they're describing. Um, or he just kind of snuck in through some other uh, back door. Um, but let's see uh, the, the other thing, uh, you know, Ruby, he's stalking Oswald uh the whole the whole mm -hmm. time you know there's there is a uh a story of of ruby coming to the police department that friday morning and he's there that friday morning before anything even happens he's there friday afternoon he's there friday night um and julia mercer says that she sees ruby uh drop somebody off who then ran up the grassy knoll and stop traffic i mean i don't know if that's true or not but she sw swore in an affidavit that it was uh, we see Oswald, uh, uh, Ruby is at Parkland Hospital for whatever reason. You know, people would always say, Ruby planted the magic bullet. I mean, there's literally no evidence for that at all. But he was there at Parkland. Maybe, so it's possible, sure, maybe, maybe. But there's literally no evidence for that. It's complete speculation. Um, but he was there. And uh, then, of course, he, then he's at the Texas Theater. He's seen at the Texas Theater as well. Uh, then he's, um, you know, at, at once Oswald's arrested, he's there on three different occasions. And he's also seen, uh, he, uh, brings like, uh, he brings sandwiches to the, uh, to the international Jewish reporters, actually deli sandwiches he did. Um, and, and he, um, uh, basically was just like stalking Oswald around, uh, you know, just kind of like almost like casing the, the place, you know, you, you could argue. Uh, he he even chimed in on camera at one point. Uh, Henry Way, the district attorney, 
was talking about Oswald being part of Fair Play for Cuba, and he <laughs> he said the wrong thing. He was like, "Free Cuba Commission," and Ruby's like, "Fair Play for Cuba." Anyways, <laughs> you can hear him say that. Um, and in the other instances, uh, Sunday morning, Ruby's supposed to be at home, and according to the official timeline, but three uh, TV techs that are basically doing like the live TV broadcast said that Ruby kept coming up to the car and asking them uh, uh, if Oswald had come out yet or when he's supposed to come out. So, you know, the Warren report specifically addressed it and said they must've been mistaken and they were just focused on, you know, um, doing what they were doing. And they also said that since they had never seen him before, that they couldn't really reliably identify him. But what's interesting about that is they didn't make that same argument for Howard Brennan, who's the only person who ID'd Oswald, right? But that's literally the same argument they're making when it comes to Ruby. Um, so, so yeah, uh, there he was he was engaged in some stalking behavior, and that's that's kind of what I don't know if you want to get into like the wire transfer and like trying to get at his motive, which is really the real question. Yeah, let's let's um, get into the motive. I know he came across some money, but then it makes you wonder, like, uh, well, what's the purpose of money if you know you're going to jail and probably going to well, get killed? But well, he he's trying to set up an alibi, mm -hmm. okay? And and so the idea is that he he needs to have a reason to be in close proximity to the to the police department on Sunday morning, and but because he it it can't be obvious that he's going to kill Oswald. It has to seem like he's doing it like in the heat of passion, right? Um, so that's that's central to like sort of how things transpired. Uh, but the Western Union is is 300 feet from the the garage entrance where, you know, Ruby ended up shooting Oswald. And he sends this, he sends money to one of his employees, one of his uh, dancers. And what's interesting about this is it turns out that uh, Ruby had reached out to her. Her name is Karen Carlin. Ruby reached out to her and said, Hey, I want you to uh, uh, ask me for an advance because I need to have a reason to go to Western union tomorrow morning. <laughs> and so she goes, okay, fine. So he gives her money on Saturday night. And then, and then he, even though he gave her money Saturday night, uh, when, this is when he saw her and told her this, Sure enough, Sunday he goes and advances her the money. And the reason he says that he had to advance it to her was because she had to pay her rent. But she was already going to be paid her full paycheck the next Monday. Monday was payday. So it was like a particular, it didn't make any sense at all. And uh, her husband was asked all these detailed questions about it under oath. And his response was, uh, I was told that I wouldn't have to remember. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so anyway, yeah, it, it really does look like the... Uh, the wire transfer Western union story. I mean, it was set up by Ruby. And so it looks like, you know, it's just there to make it look like, you know, he did this suddenly because, Hey, who would miss their opportunity to, to kill Oswald if he really cared about it. Um, but the thing is, you know, we, we know, it, and I'll say the, the best argument is that he left his dog in the car. What kind of psycho leaves their dog in the car? But that's also an argument that you can use to go, hey, what kind of psycho leaves our dog in the car? Like, if you know that people are going to think that, then then that's kind of like a, another thing you would do, I guess. But uh, the, the point is, they asked him what his motive was. So there's three possible motives, all right? There's the motive that the press 
and the Warren Commission ascribed to him, which is basically, you know, he wanted to save Jackie Kennedy. He's an admirer of the president and the first lady and wanted to save her the, the pain of having to relive everything and go through a public trial. So she, he just went ahead and killed Oswald. And that's the official story, but that's not what Ruby's defense was. I mean, he actually had a defense. There were trials that took place. His defense was that um, he had a uh, psychomotor epilepsy. So in other words, he just totally lost control of his arm. It wasn't that he, so his, his defense was that this was an unintentional act that he unintentionally had the revolver in his coat pocket, walked up to Rube, uh, to Oswald and said, Oswald, <laughs> and then fired the gun. So yeah, he, he, he lost uh, on that one. Um, but uh, he then appealed uh, and, you know, in the course of, of that appeal, there was a, a video interview with him and some members of the media and he basically says, like, look, uh, I was put up to it uh, by people who are very powerful and you'll never know who it is because they have too much to lose and they would never let me get it out to tell you. <laughs> I mean, what else do you want? Yeah, He's also visited. He's visited by Jolly West, of course. Got to talk about that. Um, and I want to say... When he's visited by West right before he gives his Warren Commission testimony because the Warren Commission came down and actually interviewed him in jail. And he's just basically on an acid trip during the whole interview. Mm -hmm. He's just talking about insane things. And one has to wonder whether that is the result of having a visit from Jolly West immediately before that. A lot of people speculate that Jolly West also may have injected Ruby with fast acting cancer. Mm -hmm. And I don't know whether that's true or not. So uh, I'll, I look forward to uh, to finding that out myself. Um, I will say something that's kind of interesting about Ruby. I had a uh, and take this with a grain with an obvious grain of salt here, but I um, had somebody email me from Australia who uh, says that that uh, they were. Uh, uh, they had worked in an American hospital and they worked at Parkland hospital uh, throughout all the eighties. And they worked there with a bunch of the original doctors who were there, um, you know, in 63. And these doctors told this Australian who was working there, who emailed me that, uh, that Ruby actually, all, his, he already had cancer. He had terminal cancer before like, like they, they found x-rays of him having terminal cancer before the assassination. So now that has never been reported anywhere. The only evidence I have for that is some email some dude sent me. Okay. <laughs> but <laughs> it was interesting nonetheless. I don't know if that's sounds, true or not. Sounds conclusive to me. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah. what, though? That would make that would actually make a lot of sense narratively. Uh, why, you know, for motivations or whatever, if you know, you're going to die anyways, you know, like, well, why not? Why not go down in history? Yeah. Uh, I, I have a, a chat, uh, from one of my patrons, Libertarian podcast review, Tyler Yankee. Uh, why was Ruby allowed to live as long as he did? Like, cause it is kind of weird he, he did say and kind of do a lot in the period he was there. You, so you would think that he probably would have been killed earlier. I mean, my, I would only surmise that it would just be too fishy to, 
what are we just gonna keep just killing killing the killing guys that killed the guy and then kill the guy that killed the guy like i don't know it gets a ridiculous territory after a while (laughs) yeah well i mean you know that's a good question um he he wasn't keeping his mouth shut i mean there's there's the thing i was talking about just now um and then there's also one where he's walking down a hallway and a reporter says uh uh uh, asked him a question and he says uh you know this this wouldn't have happened if adelaide stevenson was vice president and they go what do you mean by that are you saying that the lyndon johnson had something to do with it and he said yes But um, I'm not a huge LBJ did it guy, uh, but I'm but I'm gonna give it its due consideration when we get to it. The LB, I used to be I used to be all about LBJ did it until I started to have the realization that everybody who intensely pushes that angle uh, at some point worked in the federal government <laughs> or the Central Intelligence Agency in some capacity. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I guess like if you haven't dug deep, that would be the one that makes the most sense. He kind of has a lot of the most to gain in, in certain sense. Right. And there's definitely they there's not uh there's not love lost between the the uh, the Kennedys and and, and LBJ. Yeah, it's just so. a question of it's real. A lot of this is just a question of foreknowledge. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people that like would have been down to be part of the conspiracy had they been invited. You know what I mean? But like, I mean, Kennedy was really was hated. I mean, he was kind of and it's by no means was he perfect but he was kind of like the last if you're someone who believes there was a conspiracy okay uh and the chief culprit is the military industrial complex then it was a coup so kennedy was like sort of like the last president before i mean you could argue trump uh that was kind of just doing whatever they wanted to do whether it was the right thing or not but they weren't like completely beholden and just a puppet like he was actually trying to govern based on what he thought was right and i I, that pissed a lot of people off yeah for sure um i I do want to kind of back up a little bit to the the jolly west thing because that is jolly west is uh an interesting interesting case uh with uh the I mean, there is a lot to possibly corroborate the the mind fuckery, uh, and I also think it's interesting with the. Uh, I had actually just had only heard the cancer theory uh, from about Jolly West today when I was looking into it, mm-hmm. and it kind of makes sense because I've done a, a little bit of a decent dive, and uh, Jolly West wasn't really known so much for this side of things, but I know like kind of he was a little bit of an underling under Gottlieb. Right. A lot of people don't know with with MK Ultra is it was there was a a very you know tight Venn diagram between the MK Ultra and the assassination type stuff, so the, it was kind of more just like i don't know what the word i'd be looking for here but just alternate techniques you could almost like fed stuff so this included poisons you know cancers uh, you know heart attack guns stuff like this because gottlieb was more kind of that whereas you know jolly west is more like mk ultra but they still were heavily tied and very a ton of overlap so it's not that crazy of a concept that the feds would develop some sort of cancer con- causing thing i mean we Anyone who looks can Google up the heart attack gun. It would make a lot of sense for yeah. feds to have have the means to kill people by natural what is perceived as natural causes. Right. Uh, so I mean, because then what's the point of assassins at that point if you can just you know make someone drop dead from a heart attack or yeah. die a few weeks later from cancer? Uh, and then also, I I don't know if you know this, but 
I think there was a woman that I believe, unless I heard it wrong, was claiming uh, to be Jack Ruby's girlfriend, who seems like she may have had spook connections and had been looking into that type of research, like cancer-causing research. I and think that you're was, thinking of but, Oswald. 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 Okay, maybe Oswald. Okay. Yeah, her name's Judith Very Baker, mm-hmm. and uh, she's a nice woman. I met her last year. Um, I don't think she's so. so without getting too far out down the down the tr- track with her she worked with oswald at riley coffee company we have w2s from her and oswald so she was physically there with him at the same place at the same time she claims that she was his mistress for that period of time in new orleans and we're talking like you know a couple of months maybe um but i mean it, it doesn't there's a lot i'll just say this among like the credible people who have dedicated their life to researching this zero percent think that she's telling the truth on like the exaggerated part of her story which is what she's telling the truth about is that she did work with oswald but it's like man if she's lying she's really laying it on and it's like what are the chances that somebody who did actually know oswald would be that crazy it's like a lot you gotta know oswald that's step one be that crazy that's the second thing that's not that likely that you would have both, but it, I think she's, that's another coincidence in this case. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyways, yeah, I, I know that also I did want to mention that that was a, that was one of the many ways that the feds were looking into killing uh, uh, Castro was through cancer. So that's why I right. jumped to that conclusion because that was one of the many different poisons. A, uh, a my boot, buddy, a, just a, a quick aside. There was a, a boot was one of the things they ejected when he puts in a, in a shoe. And this is the word the, I don't know if you've heard the Bob Marley theories of it all. You know, Bob Marley died of like cancer, foot, foot and, cancer right? or something like that. And, and it, it, yeah, like, he, I, I have to look at it again, but, but uh, basically like something happened with his foot around that time. And he, you know, it's like, Oh wow. That's, that's weird. <laughs> we had that exact operation. They're going to use on somebody on, from a different Caribbean Island. Mm-hmm. Huh. <laughs> uh, Tyler brought this up. Again. I don't, I, I don't know. I know this. You said, you know, her, so <laughs> I don't want to drag her too much. She says the best not believable story in the entire case. She's not. I don't really know much about her story, so I don't know uh, specifically what's crazy about her. Uh, but she uh, just she she the, the 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 her issue is that there are some verifiable facts. There are tent poles that we know because the Warren report documents say it, and other witnesses corroborated it. Even you know like everybody agrees to, to the set of facts. And then if you ask her questions knowing that that world of the established facts exists, her answers are not consistent with the established facts. So you like it when someone adds to facts, you go, Oh, cool. That confirms this, that matches with this. Her puzzle piece doesn't match. That's, that's the challenge. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, I, I, one side point I'd want to add that I didn't really get a natural point to add. Uh, and I it just this is another thing that just you know my pattern noticing you know flared up. Apparently, uh, I forget the name of the specific drug that Ruby I guess was supposedly known for using frequently, but it essentially was an old timey. It was kind of similar to like a meth. Uh, is that is that something you know? He was essentially basically a meth user, which 
I only bring that up because that's so common in any one of these conspiracies. I don't know what it is. I I can't place why, uh, but it's so common. Uh, you know, uh, you know, McVeigh. He was known for being. I don't know if he necessarily was using meth. It's heavily implied he was, but he was also hanging around with people making meth, using meth. Right. It's common in many other conspiracies. I don't know why. I, I think at Columbine, they were meth heads too. So I, I, I don't know what it is. But go ahead. Wasn't Jolly West also uh, present at the prison when Timothy McVeigh arrived? Um, I Okay, well, with the, with that... With West and McVeigh, uh, he was there to assist. The official, you know, story is that he was assisting, I believe, with survivors uh, to deal with the trauma, which kind of is sinister if you know, you know, his backstory, because uh, he was known for uh, MK Ultra, which is kind of the whole premise of MK Ultra's uh, manipulation. You know, creating, <laughs> manipulating trauma. Yeah. Uh, so, but, um, and then, you know, the, the, the thing we do know for sure is Dr. John Smith, who was a pupil of West's, you know, like a close pupil of his, was uh, on the defense, like part of the defense team. And, you know, the defense, I know there's some issues with the defense team, whether they may be there you know, kind of some, uh, maybe there's right. some shady connections there. Uh, John Smith, you know, it seems like he kind of was tied. I think he was an MK Ultra guy. Uh, but on top of that, I don't think there's anywhere like sourced yet because Wendy hasn't written it yet, but she was on a podcast series programmed chill not too long ago. Uh, and in that she dropped that some recent research that will probably be in a future book where cool. yes, she essentially, you know, kind of confirmed I forget the specifics of how she confirmed it that yes, Jolly West did meet with McVeigh, but that was uh, so that is more recent stuff. So that'll be you know uh, written to paper at some point within the next I don't know, I have yeah. no idea how long. So, but we don't have like an actual aside from a podcast. But I guess we're getting to the world of where now you can just source podcasts. So I feel like yeah. it, it's not really official for you know scholarly types until it's in a book or something. So. Well, dude, well Shout out to you uh, for for having Richard Booth on and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, letting him sort of share his knowledge and then taking that to the Tim cast level, trying to get justice for Yiki. Mm -hmm. You're the man, dude. That was that was I, I uh, appreciated uh, your work on that. I thought that, that was really nice. Oh, I appreciate it. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll have more to tell you after that. And uh uh, for the audience, pay attention. There's more to come. Uh, but is there any, I think, I'm trying to think there's anything. Oh, yeah. Uh, one more thing. Uh, what is your thoughts on uh, the rumors that uh, Ruby was a closeted homosexual? I mean, not that it really matters, but it is an interesting side point. Supposedly had a roommate who claimed this. Uh, have you looked into that at all? I could see that being the case, given that he, you know, the, the industry he worked in, I don't mm. Recall there being many stories of him, you know, trying to sleep with his dancers, and you, and you would yeah. think that. I mean, I, I don't know a ton uh, on that, that about that part of it. Um, his roommate was George Senator mm -hmm. uh, at the time of the assassination, and what's interesting story about him is that he was having uh, he was having breakfast at the Eat Well Cafe. And he got up uh, from the guy he was having breakfast with, and he said, I had to make a call. And he goes to a payphone, and he called uh, this attorney and said, hey, I need you to represent Jack Ruby for uh, uh, killing Oswald. And then a few minutes later, they announced in the restaurant that Ruby had killed Oswald. <laughs> but he had no way of knowing 
and he and he called. So, you know, that's that'd be awkward if he didn't actually kill him and he was just like really, you know, <laughs> went, went, went through with it. You also have another thing in the in the Ruby world, uh, just to mention kind of the high points, is the uh, the Dorothy Kilgallen story. This is uh, the um, investigative reporter who really was pursuing the the story of the assassination from the Ruby angle, and she got an interview with Ruby. She was, I think, the only reporter who was able to get in and get an interview with him. And she was telling her friends that she had cracked the case and she was going to let everyone know what happened. And right around that time, she had a, uh, a drug overdose. And um, I believe it was ruled, of course, a suicide. But it's one of those that's it's one of the more suspicious ones because she was it's kind of like the uh, Michael Hastings thing, like where he's mm -hmm. like emailing people like, Hey, if it looks like I killed myself, I didn't kill myself. And then like the next day, you know what I mean? It's like one of those things where it just kind of looks weird. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's kill gallon. Oh, and then one other thing, um, there's a question about whether Ruby worked on the, uh, worked with Richard Nixon, uh, mm -hmm. for the McCarthy panel when Nixon was a Congressman, whether he worked on the house, uh, on American activities, uh, commission or committee. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it looks like uh, the answer is there. They tried to say there's a different Jack Rubenstein, um, but Nixon, when he talked about Jack Rubenstein being his boy, always said Jack Rubenstein from Chicago, and the other Jack Rubenstein wasn't from Chicago; he was from New Jersey. So it's it. I like I did try to track that down to see if that was true or not, and the answer is. Uh, it, Ruby would have been 15 years old then, which doesn't make sense that that could have been mm -hmm. plausible. Um, but at the uh, at the same time, um, it's uh, that's not true. I'll, I'll have to go back and look at that. That's that's a. Uh, but I, I think I think there's something where like the dates don't match up exactly. But then again, you have why is Nixon talking about uh, Ruby from Chicago? So it's just another one of the another one of those crazy connections, and that's one that. Uh, that Roger Stone likes to talk about uh, just really super quickly. I'll do this in like 30 seconds without getting off track. Yeah, um, the people who push the LBJ did it theory and like LBJ is the main catalyst. Here's who pushes that theory. The first person is a guy named Barr McClellan and he released his book when his son was the press secretary for George W. Bush. Okay. Um, all right. And whatever his son was estranged from him because of it, yada, yada, yada. But the, so he, he's guy number one guy. Number two, uh, is the the whole Billy Sol Estes thing? Uh, if you're studying this case for a long time, Billy Sol Estes is linked to LBJ, and he uh, there's this document that he uh, talked about in court. All the people that uh, LBJ had ordered Mac Wallace to murder, and one of them was uh, President Kennedy. Well, the attorney for uh, Billy Sol Estes is this guy named uh, uh, Doug. I can't think of his name, his last name. But uh, but he he represents a bunch of people that are affiliated with the CIA, <laughs> and then and then finally you have Roger Stone, who is the last big backer of the LBJ theory, and Roger Stone is a is a you know Nixon loyalist who's been in the game now. Of course, you know he's an he's seen by most people as an outsider, but sometimes it's just hard to tell what's real and what's not. So. I, you know, and then on top of that, there's not a ton of substantive other evidence on LBJ. So the question is, did he cover it up and did he have foreknowledge? Not was he the guy because he wasn't the guy. But anyway, mm -hmm. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, all right. Uh, it, let me know if there's anything else Ruby wise. I think we covered most of the only, I guess there's one minor point. He was apparently obsessed with his dogs, which kind of plays into the point about his dog being in the car earlier. Uh, he called them his kids, his children. And he like, and in, a, in, and in the most uh, aggressive, you know, douchey way that people do not in the, not in just a kind of silly kind of way that some people do just being colloquially, but knowing that, you know, not really a kid. No, he was very serious about it. And apparently there were some, you know, anecdotal stories about him getting like very seriously upset about anyone who would like, you know, downplay his relationship with his dogs. So, uh, I don't know <laughs> what to make of that, but just, he was clearly an interesting fella. He was also, I guess, prone to fits of rage, which I guess if you're kind of a meth head, you know, like that's kind yeah. of, Oh, territory. I know one thing. One of the thing I wanted to say, um, he uh, in in the uh, the months leading up to the assassination, his long distance phone calls uh, exponentially increased. Uh, in particular, he had more. He had, I want to say, six long distance calls with this guy with this guy that's connected in the uh, Traficante world. So, you know, that's the beauty of actually having these long distance records. You can see, you know, who, who's calling who. And yeah, he's he's he, his long distance phone call activity is consistent with him being involved in some big event or plan coming up, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I don't I think you maybe might agree that it's not really anything conclusive that shows that there was a greater conspiracy with him but it he, with him it's one of those things there's so many patterns to be seen that i don't know it'd be kind of silly to think that he, there wasn't something going on uh but i guess theoretically it's feasible especially if you really yeah. really 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 want to buy that official narrative so yeah, i think i think like you know if you just landed here and you're not steeped in any politics or anything and you're truly just looking at this issue uh, it's, it's like you said, for for Jack Ruby's t connections and, and for, I would say, Jack Ruby's like equal to Dealey Plaza evidence we have for a shooter on the grassy knoll based on the Dealey Plaza, Plaza witnesses, right? The answer is we do have evidence. We have the four people on the overpass that saw the puff of smoke and ran to it. We have Ed Hoffman, who nobody believes, who describes exactly what you would think happened. We have Lee Bauer, who says like a, a an abstract not as clear version of what ed hoffman's saying so you have it there but it's just not strong enough that it can be that it can you know convince people who are certain that oswald did it alone but it is strong enough that you can believe that that there was somebody there it's strong enough that there's something so so there's a lot of that all over this whole case so you the things that are absolutely persuasive you kind of have to really hang your head on that and that's why you know, this documentary I was in JFK with the doctor saw what it comes down to for me is the, you've got 43 witnesses who say large, there's a hole in the right rear of Kennedy's head. And that is incompatible with the autopsy. And there's also lots of evidence that the autopsy was forged. We talked about before. Um, so, so since we know that, then th knowing that, then when you look at Ruby and when you look at Dealey Plaza and you look at all these other things, you go, okay, all right, well, yeah that that makes sense mm -hmm. but it's a rorschach test and some people uh, answer the question of you know 43 uh people say this the evidence uh, the the autopsy says something else who do you believe they're gonna go well of course the autopsy of course mm -hmm. people can be mistaken you're saying our government is lying to us actively whoa 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 no 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 so that's that's the whole thing is like you know can you can you get past that wall it is to me 
but um, I think people could still believe in good faith. Um, although I just think the medical stuff, I don't see how you could be convinced, but I, I know a lot of people are, so, you know, yeah, no, you come to the, people come to these little presuppositions and it's one of those things that like, it is really hard to get past that wall of like, you really think the government would either one do this or let it happen, which is a common thing I've had to deal with, with like Oklahoma city and stuff as well, or many other things. It's like, you really think, even if you're just trying to say a cover up or you're just trying to say some sting gone wrong, it's just like, well, they wouldn't do that. And you're like, well, if you're operating from that, that, that perspective, yeah. Okay. Then there's not really, yes. Like if you're not coming from a position of being skeptical, and I, I don't know what to tell you. But, uh, yeah, I think we've covered everything on Ruby. Uh, we'll have to – I don't know what we'll go into next because we kind of cover the major ter uh, major characters. Maybe, like, maybe we can go into, like, Mexico City, maybe go deeper in the medical stuff, maybe yeah. J.D. Tippett. Uh, I don't know. There's we, we can figure out what's more natural Let's, for the uh, next one. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be um, – I'll have some interesting stuff to cover with you on Oswald's time growing up uh and him in the military and the marines as well i kind of have the uh the the two oswalds theory evidence uh and it's e either it's like the biggest like mysterious evidentiary anomaly that's just a good faith accident or there were there were two people at the same time that had the same identity <laughs> so we'll see <laughs> yeah well i'm looking forward to it uh you want to go ahead and let people know where they can find you and we'll go ahead and get out of here yeah, yeah, man. Uh, the podcast is on all podcasts, uh, you know, where you can find podcasts, Spotify, Apple, all those. It's on YouTube as well. Um, and uh, I'm on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. Facebook, I do the least. Twitter, I'm on the most. Uh, and then, yeah, that's it. Thanks. Uh, thanks for giving me a chance. I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on, Jose. Absolutely. And we'll, we'll do this again soon. Uh, yeah, I just want to remind you guys, this is on YouTube, all the major art packages, Odyssey, and Rumble. Follow me on Twitter at Tower Gang Jose. Support me at patreon.com, snowyjose2020. Like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. And that we are out. And stream.